Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Kotaku Split Screen, the only video game podcast that is both a robot and a dinosaur. It's April 13th, 2017, and we've got a great show for you this week. We're going to start out talking about the news of the week. PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds sells 1 million copies, even though Jason and I both haven't played it. Star Wars Battlefront 2 trailer leaks, and Xbox Scorpio's specs are released. After that, we will be joined by the one and only Ashley Birch, writer and voice actor extraordinaire, most recently the star of the PS4 game Horizon Zero Dawn. Then we'll read some listener mail and talk a little bit more about how games are like music and architecture and Star Wars movies, and whether changing games after they come out is bad for the industry. And here we are for another episode of Kotaku Split Screen. My name is Kirk Hamilton. I am editor-at-large at Kotaku.com. I am joined, as always, by Kotaku news editor Jason Schreier from the comfort of his apartment. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? Hi, Kirk. So what does it mean to be editor-at-large? Does that just mean you can do anything you want? Isn't that the title that just means, like, I, I can do, do whatever what want. I want I think today. there is an under... I looked up what it meant when, when I was changing titles to find out what exactly title I should have. And yeah. I think that there is a, a technical... Like, jokes about being chased by the police and stuff aside, there is a technical description, which basically means an editor who sometimes edits people and generally is responsible for his or her own, like, editorial, you know, choices and just writes whatever, which is basically what I do. So it's an accurate title. Minus the editing people. Because you don't really I do edit, edit people. people. No, I edit oh. Dr. Nerdlove. I edit Steven. I edit um, oh, okay. some of our staffers from time to time. People will kick me articles at it. So I still do, do some editing. Right. Not as so much as I that's an accurate, an accurate description of your, yeah. your work at yeah. Kotaku. It sums it up. This has been another another episode of Kotaku Inside Baseball with Kirk and Jason. Of what titles mean. Titles, what are they? Do they mean things? Let's titles, find out. what are they? Do they mean things? Let's find out. <laughs> so, Kirk, did you have a good Passover? Uh, I did. Um, I had a, yeah, I had a really nice Passover. I actually ate Have you ever some, been to a Passover Seder? I haven't. And I went to, uh, um, Emily and I went to friends uh, for dinner last night and it was not a Seder. We had uh, regular bread. The, 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 our host made some bread that was very good, but then we realized, oh, we're definitely eating leavened bread. So there you go. Thank you for telling me that. That was, that was good information. So, yeah, sorry. I completely so, wait a minute. Wait, your host, you like thought, you had the active thought, we're eating leavened bread right now? Yeah, it was because we were all sitting around and we were... So and you were talking like, about we were, how it's a Seder. And we were having a dinner together and we were aware that it was Passover. I but gotcha. none of us okay. are Jewish or practice that religion. Okay. And so we then realized, oh, well, this isn't really a Passover dinner because here we are okay, eating this so, delicious focaccia that our host made. So let me tell you a funny thing about the Passover Seder. And this one this one is for all the all the brethren listening, all of my fellow Jews listening. Mm-hmm. So the, the Passover Seder, the way it's traditionally done is you read from this book called a Haggadah. And basically it's in Hebrew, but you can also read it in English. And it tells the story of like Passover right? And it's this compilation of stuff. So, it's a mixture of prayers, and then there's some uh, uh, stuff about, like, uh, 
stuff from the Bible, Exodus stuff, stuff about uh, uh, the Jews leaving Egypt and the ten plagues and all the all the Passover. I'm sure you have a, a vague recollection of the Passover yes, story. Yes, yes. Um, so there are some random things in there. Um, like there's an entire section, and this is the funniest thing. Uh, like I don't think non-Jews realize how much stupid shit is in Judaism. So there's an entire section <laughs> in the Haggadah that you're supposed to read every Passover at the Seder mm-hmm. that's just about three different rabbis having an argument over how many plagues there really were. And so one paragraph is like, this rabbi says, actually there were 50 plagues because each uh, a plague, rec- like uh, is a, each 10 plagues is uh, uh, analogized by one of God's fingers. And then another rabbi is like, actually there are 200 plagues. And another rabbi is like, actually there are 250 plagues. And this is an entire chunk of the Seder <laughs> that you're supposed to read. Do they ever, fig- I mean, do the they ever agree on how many plagues no, there were? Is no, no, there, no, there's no, no. Because there's no a resolution. large part of Judaism is never agreeing on anything. Right, I was going to say, this is actually, from what I understand of Judaism, this is, this is right, on brand. You just have debates and uh, ask questions and argue about things. So, right. so usually, I mean, usually that can be interesting. And if you actually read, like, I've done some studying of, like, the Talmud back in, in high school and stuff, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's, like, interesting arguments over, like, philosophical questions, but other times it's, like, how many plagues did God really <laughs> smite upon <laughs> Egypt? And it's the stupidest thing because it's, like, every year you read this story and some of the parts of the story are interesting and then there's this part and I every year I try to convince my family to be like alright let's just skip this section can we press like, X to, no, let's no. press X to skip this section exactly. can we skip do the persona fast forward through this and, and get past it yeah yeah but alas um, anyway let's talk about video games shall we yeah before the news I think you and I both played a couple of a couple of interesting games that we yeah, really briefly talk playing. about um, well I so I just updated like did a major update to our best PC VR games list, which was incredibly out of date. It had it we it we had not updated it since we made it because we basically made it last April and then just things changed so quickly and there kept new hardware kept coming out and everything was different. So it was just like okay, we're just gonna wait to change this until the until it all settles down. So and this now is it's also everything down. except PlayStation VR? It's so this is so basically Oculus Rift and HTC Vive. It's like okay. those two systems. So now like, you know, the they're pretty comparable in terms of hardware. almost all games work on both um and so it was like, okay, it's time to update this thing. So I've been playing a bunch of VR games, and one of the games that I played, out of total, out of totally out of curiosity, was um, Rock Band VR, which came out a couple of weeks ago for Oculus Rift. This is this one is an actual Oculus Rift exclusive because Oculus funded the entire game and published the game, um, and Harmonix made it with them, and so it like works with the Oculus Touch controller in this really specific way. So basically, this game. I um I had it on my Oculus, Oculus account, but I don't have any. You use a Rock Band guitar to play this game, and you know I don't know. Like, did did you ever have? Did you ever own like Rock Band? I played guitar here a lot in college. Okay, so and you and so at some point, most people have had these instruments, and I yeah. I love Rock Band, man. Yeah, like I had guitar here too. Yeah. And so I had all of them, and then I got rid of them. Just I don't know. I think when I moved to Portland, I was like, okay, it's time to just get rid of all this shit. I also, at some point, center. everyone has gotten rid of their rock band instruments. Right. And so you don't have any left, but then you need a guitar to play this game. This is it's not actually like rock band. It's just guitar, and okay. you play in VR. Like the the basic gist is you're on stage and you're rocking out and you're like using a guitar, but you need a guitar, yeah. and I didn't have one. And I was like, I'm not like gonna. And the harmonics had kind of emailed us and been like, oh, you know, if you want to review it, like we'll send you a guitar. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna review it. I don't even have time to play this. Whatever, but then over the weekend, I kind of decided, you know, I'm going to play this. So I went to a used guitar sh- or a used uh, game shop here 
not games. Not a used guitar shop. You might, you wouldn't find this no. in a used guitar well, shop. Well, a used video game guitar shop, um, and uh, called uh, CD Game Exchange. It's like a really. It's cool because it's it's right on Hawthorne near where I live in Portland, and it um is not a GameStop. So it's like it's like an actual used you know used game shop. Anyway, they had exactly one guitar, and I bought it, and they made me buy a xbox one copy of rock band 4 that came with it because they're just like no man these are bundled i have to sell this game you have to buy it so, so i was like whatever how much is it uh, uh he gave me a deal at 35 dollars. Um, okay i think it was selling for 40 and i was like i really don't want the game man and he was like okay i'll give it to you for 35 dollars and Make actually sure that's a pretty good off. deal um, oh, no, oh yeah that'll it, be it, it would have next to be year. for next year right yeah next year tax rate off not a bad deal actually those guitars still kind of go for a you know they're not like ten dollars on ebay or anything quite yet okay. so anyways Set it up. You you kind of mount the um the Oculus Touch controller on the headstock of the guitar using this little dongle that came with it that's specific to Rock Band, which is really interesting and actually works really well. So okay. then, because you know, so it know it can track the controller. So then you're holding it in the game and it knows where your guitar is because the guitar can't really move. So you pick it up and you rotate it and move it around, and the touch controller kind of tells you where it is. So then you just you play, and it's way simplified. Um, you know, I wrote a whole article about this. If you care about all the particulars, I kind of broke this down really yeah, musically yeah. and how it does what it does. But you're kind of just, it's like guitar karaoke. You're kind of just strumming chord shapes to kind of well-known rock band songs while you're on stage with this band and you're looking around and like the audience is looking at you and your set list is taped to the floor. And it's really convincing. The details are all really cool. And then you can't fuck up. There's no note. There are no gems on a note bar coming toward you like in rock band. It goes from left to right and you just pick what chords you want. So you can do like open open chord and then arpeggios and then power chords and then muted strings and you can double up how fast you're strumming and the guitar part but kind the of whole changes. fun of guitar hero is the con- is like like challenging yourself isn't it well no i mean i actually don't think so i think the um i have actually kind of burned out on that okay. and i think that that is the fun for a lot of people and this game is very different than that this is going for something different it's much more just about performing and there is a scoring system that's based around different combinations of chord shapes and sort of matching them and changing them up but it's really mostly just about playing and um and having a good time and feeling like you're rocking out with a band which is i think actually a really smart move um partly just because i've gotten i got kind of sick of the like really rigid scoring of rock band and guitar hero just over the years that's never been why i like those games i like the games because they they kind of have they like channel music in an interesting way you know one of my my like my rock band story is basically that i i never liked playing guitar and i i I got really into playing drums in rock band and that matches pretty closely to real drums. And then because of that, I was teaching jazz at the time and I wound up filling in for a student on drum set because our drummer wasn't there. And I realized, Oh, I've gotten a lot better at drums just from playing rock band. So I started practicing and then I spent the next year practicing real drums. I got pretty good at drums and then I stopped having fun playing drums in rock band because I, it's so restrictive and you kind of have to follow the little dots and you sure. can't do things. So anyways, this is closer to actually playing and it's okay. really fun. Um, nobody is going to play this game because it's it's a rock band game that's only available on Oculus Rift. So it's a niche within a niche. It's a very a very small thing, but it's super cool. And so if, if you have a guitar, so wait, hold on. Does it work with any Guitar Hero controller? Like you rock need band controller? Uh, any Rock Band controller, and okay. I believe now that it does. I thought that it only worked with a with a set number, but I think that they told me. I believe they told me that it works with any. So PS3, Xbox 360, Xbox One, PS4. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and you need the Touch, Oculus Touch to play it as well. Hmm. 
but it's cool. It's a interest. It's definitely a cool VR game compared to just shooting zombies or whatever. I, I it's like interesting. It. It's interesting how VR is still in this place where it doesn't feel like anyone really cares about it except for the early adopters, like the hardcore fanatics. Yeah, I mean, I think this game in particular is a really good example of what Oculus is trying to do and what Facebook is trying to do with Oculus, which is they're you know they've been funding all these games for the last year. Um, either partially funding and then you get these games that are these sort of exclusives, timed exclusives on the Oculus Store where you have to use this revive thing to play them on Vive. Or like in the case of Rock Band VR, they straight up just bankrolled that game. And so, you know, Harmonix, I'm sure, I'm guessing anyways, like, you know, employed people for a year and had a whole group of people on this project and got paid a bunch of money to make it and kind of stayed in business because, you know, if you've followed Harmonix over the last few years, they've been they've been having hard times. And so it's cool that they, that a studio was able, an independent studio was able to make this weird game that not that many people will play. I don't think it would have been profitable if they released it on its own, but it's this, it's like Oculus's kind of approach is we want to invest in VR, right? That's what they say. Uh-huh. We just want to make cool just, VR things yeah. so that this catches on. Which is such a um, Silicon Valley, like it Facebook so talk. is it's so, and who knows if that'll work. It's such a, Oh, we're going to be, we're just going to take right, a huge loss. Unlimited and, amounts of cash. That doesn't right, even jump matter. Start a whole industry. Yeah, it's a cool game though. If if you even have the chance to like try it out, it's just worth. I mean, you could play for an well, hour. Well, if I come, I'll come to your it. place and try it out next time. Oh I'm yeah, and I mean, and and also, I mean, yes, when you're in Portland, you have to play it. And listeners, if you just know somebody with an Oculus Rift or have the listeners, opportunity, if you're in Portland and you want to go to Kirk's place and try it out, <laughs> you want to swing by my place um, um, and play it. You've been playing a game too, right? Uh, yeah, real. So real quick, into. I'll talk about this more when I play more of it and finish it. But mm-hmm. I played a few hours of this game, Cosmic Star Heroine, which is a JRPG by Zaboid Games. Do you know who they are? They're the guys who made yeah. Breath of Death, Cthulhu Saves the World, and then, Cthulhu uh, Saves the World. That's how I know that. That was yeah. a fun one. Yeah, that was like an indie hit back in the Xbox Live indie games marketplace mm-hmm. days. Um, and they also made the Penny Arcade RPGs, the last two. Right, three and four. right, right. So yeah, this game is like their first real original big creation in a long time, and it's very ambitious and really cool, and it's like a sci-fi fantasy star, spiritual successor, a lot mm. of Chrono Trigger in there, apparently some mm-hmm. sweet code in. Uh, in my three hours or four hours I spent with it, I am enjoying it quite a bit, even though it's a little nice. buggy. It's got some issues, some finicky issues that they'll fix. Um, I already saw the developer talking about issuing a patch and I've been telling him some of the bugs that I found. So I'll talk more about this when I finish it and I can th- more thoroughly recommend it because they didn't send out early codes or anything. So I just started playing it last night. Um, but yeah, but it's cool. It's, it's, if you're into hmm. sci-fi JRPGs and you want like a new fantasy star game, it's, I recommend I there's it. There's probably a lot That's of people cool. that, that, uh, that, that, that applies, applies to. to. Yeah. That I makes me so. want to check it out then. Yeah, dude, I think you would enjoy it. Check it out on. Yeah. I, I gave you a code for PS4. You should check it out on. Oh, I have. Yeah, they sent like. I've got, so one I of the the cool thing about this game is that the combat system is really smart, and, and uh, I don't want to hold get into a whole thing. I'll save that for another week. But basically, it's it's challenging and strategic, and you have to really think about everything, and you can't just smash X. You have to think about like which abilities you're going to use when and plan mm. things out, and it's mm-hmm. really smart. It's really got this whole set of systems that work really well together, and. I like if you play it. I recommend playing on the higher difficulty. I'm playing on mm. heroin difficulty, which I think is the equivalent of hard, uh, the second hardest difficulty. Uh, and yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's really interesting and challenging in a good way. Nice. Um, all right, let's get to the news. Let's do it. So first of all, I thought you didn't, this was I, you didn't call it the news hour. Wait a minute, you didn't call it the news hour. I was waiting. The news for you hour. To, news Kirk of the week. News of the week actually works. That news is of the accurate. week. Isn't that um, the name of a publication? 
like a, probably. a news corp thing probably or the something. name of like six publications and podcasts yeah well, well the news hour anyway podcasts are the new thing so those they publications are. will be dead and Kajaka split screen will still be carrying on <laughs> with news of the week um, all right, news item number one. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which is a game I know nothing about, sells one million copies. And just to be clear, the name of the game is Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. But I don't think I think that Kotaku should just call it Battlegrounds because it's the yeah, equivalent of calling I thought it that we had Sid established Meier's Civilization. So, I thought that we had established that Player Unknown is the alias of the creator. Yes. Thus calling it Player Unknown's Battleground is akin to calling Sid Meier's Civilization, Sid Meier's yes. Civilization. And I think that which eventually we do not we'll do. get to. The problem is that Battlegrounds is such a bad name and Civilization is such a good name that people in the press and stuff have just been calling it Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, um, right. which is like, like I don't know, when I see a headline on IGN or whatever, they're calling it Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. So I don't know. I guess we'll see if, if that changes over time. But I've been trying to get Kotaku to just call it Battlegrounds. Anyway, it sold a million copies. It's kind of this year's Stardew Valley and that it came out of nowhere and is a huge indie hit. Um, and yeah, I don't know anything about it. I just thought that well, was so interesting news. I will, so, so to, to, just so people know something about it, if you, if you haven't been following this, Nathan Grayson, our, um, who runs Steamed, our PC gaming subsite, has written about this game quite a bit. I just looked up his article. His initial article about it is, Steam's latest hit is a more tactical, less chaotic battle royale game. Yeah, that's so, what it is. So what I, I, I get the sense, and it's sort of got that like H1Z1 or um, DayZ, like where mm-hmm. you're all dropped into a into a like area together and you have to just whoever, I think it's whoever lives longest wins. It's that kind of a game. And yeah. I haven't played it. I, I can never, I get to, these games stress me out um, where you're having <laughs> to talk to other people and they're like on their microphone trying to fuck with you and like, uh-huh. it, like all of that is too much. But it does, it seems like really popular and people are really into it, which generally means that it's pretty good. You know, games like this don't get popular for no reason. It's cool mm-hmm. that it sold a million copies. I definitely um, want to check it out. Maybe at some point we'll play it and have Nathan on to talk about, to talk sure. about the game. Um, okay, next news item. Star Wars Battlefront 2 trailer came out. Did you watch that? I didn't. I just looked okay, at the Okay, so images. it leaked out. Um, it looks cool. It looks like everything that Star Wars Battlefront 1 fans wanted, which is a single-player campaign, uh, appearances from all the new characters like Rey and mm-hmm. Finn and all that. And yeah, it, it basically seems I like... Mean, so do you think a single player campaign is I mean I don't know like you've played like a battle like I guess Battlefield the most recent Battlefield game had an okay single player campaign but don't you think there's a pretty good chance that this is just going to be some stapled on bullshit? No. No. I you really think don't. a single player campaign is going to be good? Yeah. I think it could be mm. good. Um I think it cuz it's not just dice it's they also have the folks at EA Motive which is their new mm-hmm. studio working on oh, it. Oh, they're and, working on this. Yeah, and they have a whole team. They have like a bunch of people dedicated to it and they're making a big thing out of it. And yeah, 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 I do think it could be good. Um I this would make me more interested than I was in the first game. I wasn't interested in oh, yeah. playing a multiplayer Definitely. battle for. Well, game. and actually playing a lot of Battlefield 1 made me which I really got into and was really fun. And that was the first Battlefield game I think I've really ever gotten into. I have a Battlefield 1942. Oh, yeah, we talked about this on the show and you made a joke about it, I remember. Because I said I haven't gotten into a Battlefield game since 1942. And you were like, wow, that's a long time ago to be playing Battlefield. Um, it's sure good that we're reusing jokes. I'm sure that listeners are enjoying hearing me shittily recap that joke. Um, anyway, I, Battlefield 1 did make me think, oh, I would love to play a Star Wars version of this. And I know people are exactly. dying for a Star Wars single-player game, so yeah, I feel it's like been it's so even long. 
if it's even decent, that'll be cool. When um, was the last yeah, time we had a good. Star Wars single player game? I mean, 2010 or something like that. Jesus, Does Connect Star Wars count? Force Unleashed like 2? It. Does it? I guess Force Unleashed 2. I would say yeah. that is what we're talking so, about. So yeah, it's counts. about time. Um, yeah. And then finally, new final news item, Xbox Scorpio specs revealed. And this is actually last week, but it was after uh, we ran, or after we recorded last week's episode. Right, I think it was last right. Thursday that it was officially revealed. And so Eurogamer had a whole big thing. They had like five articles where they uh, Microsoft paid for them to fly out and visit the thing and do a digital foundry uh, uh, like dig into the into the specs of Scorpio and people are really excited. It's a really powerful machine. It's got lots of teraflops. You know, teraflops. Yeah, I think I mean I think this is the we've we've talked about this before and this the the um, number of teraflops doesn't really change the fundamental thing that we've discussed I think ad nauseum on the show, which is just that Microsoft needs a game strategy to make this thing work. Um I was also I mean I'll I'll continually be suspicious of like i i i'm i need to know more about what games it can run just on a technical level i think they talked about a forza demo that was running in 4k at 60 frames per second which is great but um i think i saw this and this is off the top of my head but i believe i saw someone basically equating the graphics processing power to a gtx 1070 um 10 i think they said 1060 1070 which is a slight Mm -hmm. cut under the 1080 which is actually no longer even the king of the hill now the 1080 ti and the new titan are that and i feel like the 1080 ti and not to get totally sidetracked on this but that is the most recent um nvidia graphics card that thing from mike fahey using it it sounds to me like that is the the, car, the first card that's really able to like run games solidly at 60 frames per second in 4 how much resolution. does that cost uh i think it's like 600 dollars. so this um, thing itself i mean the, we well, still no don't know how much the scorpio will be but this yeah. could be 500 dollars, and that's for the entire machine no, no no right i'm so i'm not i'm right so let me finish so i'm not actually that's not the comparison that i'm drawing it's more that that gpu significantly more powerful than what the scorpio is doing um if you know i, I believe and and that is just now able to run 4K games at 60 frames per second. I'm skeptical. I remain skeptical that console, that even this really power looks really powerful. I'm skeptical that it will actually mean, oh, all games are going to be high resolution. We're going to get way more games running at 60 frames per second on Scorpio. It'd be cool right. if that well, were so the case, that's but an I'll interesting, believe it when I see it. So that poses an interesting question, right? So I think most people, even the most hardcore Xbox fans, have given up on the idea that Microsoft will have exclusives that compete with the PS4s, right? So mm-hmm. you're not going to get games like Uncharted and Horizon from on the Xbox Scorpio, unless Microsoft suddenly switches strategies and stops closing studios and canceling games, um, yeah. which is possible. But but let's say that's unrealistic at this point. So here's the question, right? For if, if Scorpio comes out this fall and suddenly a game like Destiny 2 or Red Dead 2 or anything else, third-party mm-hmm. stuff that comes out over the next few years is running at 60 frames a second on Scorpio and only 30 per second on the PS4 and PS4 Pro, is that going to change like the way we play? Will people start moving to the Scorpio? It could. And I think, and you know, and the biggest, the, the biggest difference between, I think, I between this and the last generation, I thought about the PS3 versus the 360 was the PS3 was the more powerful console, but it was harder to develop for. And I think Microsoft is, you know, really trying to drive home this thing of this thing is just a PC. It's really easy to develop for. Yeah. And if they're releasing, if there is going to be a PC version of, let's say Red Dead Redemption 2, 
Um, let's just pretend that Rockstar is going to release a PC version along with the console versions, which probably won't happen because Rockstar doesn't do that, but say they are. And then, yeah, the, I don't know. If they have the bandwidth, there would be no reason to not make a Scorpio version that runs better. It's just, will that actually happen? It's an open question. If And if it did happen, I do think, yeah, like I, I think there are plenty of people who would say, well... I'd I'd rather play it on on Scorpio. Even then, though, I don't know, man. I, what do you think? What do you think? I, I, don't I have know. lots it's of thoughts. It's so interesting. But. It'll be really interesting to see. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Sony feels about that. And if Sony says like, "Oh, you can't do this. We'll pay you not to do this." And if it starts right. turning into and like then, that sort of, or if like, or if you own a PS4, which so many people own PS4s, if they've right. outsold the Xbox One by so much, do you buy an Xbox or a Scorpio, whatever it right. ends up being called, just for that? Especially because you can also get a gaming PC, and yeah. like you can build a gaming pc for not that much more right it's equally powerful it's and a weird place it doesn't it feels like it's it's a weird fit in today's gaming like right mm-hmm. now the ideal way to play video games uh, kind of objectively unless you're really into halo and gears of war and uh, uh halo wars or get whatever. ready for some tweets you're about to say something is objectively the best way to play games you can get i've already tweets. i've already gotten so many tweets about the scorpio <laughs> stuff did you because i, I like, i'm immune to tweets well the xbox fans are just insane they're like they're they're there's so many people with scorpios in their handles i think they're all really young that's a thing but there are also mm-hmm. a couple of people on twitter who i won't name who are like the rabble rousers and they're the ones who just encourage these legions of xbox fans to harass people and they also get like associated with microsoft like phil spencer will be tweeting at them constantly and just like interacting with them and treating them them like they're they're passionate fans who he associates with and interacts with so really microsoft is enabling a lot of this stuff which is pretty fucked up mm. um but anyway we're getting sidetracked so so mm-hmm. i think the ideal way to play video games right now unless you're really into microsoft's exclusives or i guess if you're into the os or whatever is to have a gaming pc and then like a ps4 for the horizons and uncharted's and neos and personas and all the other stuff that sony has secured on there and then a switch because that (laughs) zelda is unmissable you can play the the best game of the last however many years yeah well and, and like you said exclusives but even if even if you're into Microsoft's exclusives, you can play Gears of War and Forza Horizon. Dude, I've been playing Forza oh, Horizon 3 on PC because yeah. I upgraded my PC and it can run it really well now. And that game is awesome. Yeah. That's a really good exclusive that would, you know, like it's a great, it's the most fun racing game I've played in forever, but I can just play it on my PC. I'm not going to play so, it on Okay, Xbox. so wait. So we have to take PC owners, gaming PC players out of the equation here because yeah. for them, the Scorpio is not really relevant. So let's right. say that I play on PS4 primarily or PS4 and Switch, some combination of that. The big question is, how does Scorpio fit into my life? Is it going to be worth it for me to get a Scorpio if it plays? If Red Dead 2 comes out and that runs at 60 frames per second on the Scorpio, the answer could be yes. I mean, maybe it is worth it because Mm -hmm. that might change the way the game plays. If we're just talking about a resolution difference or we're just talking about like like 1080p versus 900p or, or some other like graphical changes that don't make as big a difference then the answer is probably no and there's probably no reason to have and there's man it really is a whole long conversation that will get easier to have and i'm sure we'll have over the course of the year because there's the question of do you have a 4k tv like are 4k tvs standardized do people want to buy them yet which i think is an open question i think a lot of people do I mean, but the, there's still a pain in the ass to buy. Like, sure. if you start looking at 4K TVs, like, mm-hmm. there's still these competing standards, and it's still not a sure bet that your $800, whatever, $600 TV is going to be the one, the right one to get. It's getting clearer and clearer, but it feels to me like we're not quite there. And then there's the question of, like, a game like Destiny 2 or Red Dead Redemption, which will have a significant online component. Can you have 
can you merge the Xbox One player base with the Scorpio player base if half of your player base is playing the game at 60 frames per second and half of the player base is playing at 30 frames per second? You can't. Not only is that like arguably an advantage in multiplayer for people at 60 frames, but also like there could be netcode issues and just syncing frames no, across different games. No, you would have to games. lock it. Like, you would have to lock yeah, it. Yeah, you'd have to lock it. Or, or maybe, I mean, we, like maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's some solution we don't know about. But regardless, there are all these questions that have not yet been answered. And I don't know if they'll have easy answers. And it's just, there's a lot here to figure out how it's going to work. And it's going to be complicated and probably messy and inconsistent when it It'll happens. It'll be interesting. It, it will mm-hmm. be interesting. I it mean, I, I can't see a path for Microsoft in releasing a Scorpio and securing third-party games that run better mm-hmm. on Scorpio. And I mean, I can see them winning over a lot of hardcore Yeah, and then in two or three years, there's like, it's just become established that there's way better. Games just play better and look better on the system. Yeah, well, could, in two or three years, happen. Sony might have their own newer version of the PS4 Pro. Right. Right, I guess we're speeding up the rate at which we get these things. So the PS4 Super Pro comes out. Yeah. Jesus. Well, we'll see. And we yep. will, yeah, we'll, we'll see more at E3, I imagine, unless Microsoft has other PR exclusive deals or something about Gamma Sutra, <laughs> from Gamma Sutra that was like the dev kit. So maybe they have something else coming too. Or they're yeah. like, here, we'll give, we'll, we'll pay. Probably, I bet at E3 they name it, right? Like they say what it's actually called. You don't think it's going to be called Scorpio? No, I thought that was still the code name. Maybe I hope it's still the code name. It's no, a terrible name. <laughs> it is a terrible name. Um, um, but but so many people have that, those stupid symbols in their names now that it's become a whole brand for them. So it would be kind of stupid for them to get rid of that at this point. We'll see, I guess. Yeah, we will uh, see. We'll see. Yeah, the thing um, that that Twitter users were getting on my case about was because I pointed out that uh, Microsoft paid for Eurogamer's trip, which which seemed like a strange thing because it's like Eurogamer got this huge exclusive and and uh, flew out and ran five articles and was probably getting a lot of traffic. I mean, their site crashed, but they couldn't afford to, to, they couldn't pay for their own flight and hotel. But I didn't even think it was a big deal. And of course, I got all these nasty messages from Xbox fans because uh, the typical rabble rousers started capping my my tweets and you mm-hmm. know how it goes. You know how it goes. Yes, I do. I do know how it goes. All right. So now we are going to have Ashley Birch on the show. I'm very excited yeah. to talk to her about Horizon and all that. Very exciting guest. Cool, let's, let's do it. Uh, yeah, let's get to it. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ashley Birch is a well-known writer and actor. You have heard her voice in many video games. She was Chloe in Life is Strange. She played Tiny Tina in Borderlands 2 and most recently voiced Aloy, the protagonist of the very good PS4 game Horizon Zero Dawn. We're very excited to talk to her today about a bunch of things. Hi, Ashley. How's it going? Hey, how are you guys doing? Uh, you, you know, pretty good. Um, we're uh, hanging in there. We're, just, we're hanging in there. I feel like I, we should ask you about the weather. How's the weather where you are right now? It's actually really nice. I don't know where yeah. you guys are, but I'm in LA and it's sunny and there's like a breeze going. It's actually pretty oh, ideal, man. which that's, maybe uh, is a horrible thing quality. to say depending on where you are right now. So your most recent accomplishment or your most recent game is Horizon Zero Dawn, which Jason and I have both talked about on the show and like very much. Uh, how are you feeling now that this game is out that you're the main character in? Relieved. Definitely relieved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I've been working before the game came out, I was working on it for about two years. And, wow. and yeah, and just sort of working on it in a vacuum and 
feeling a lot of excitement, but also a lot of responsibility because this was a game with a sole female protagonist, a sole protagonist. Um, Mm -hmm. So you didn't get to choose which gender you were playing. You had to play as Aloy. And that's a pretty uncommon thing uh, in particular for really big budget open world games. And so I felt a lot of responsibility, again, a lot of responsibility uh, and excitement, but um, also nervousness to make her a really compelling character. And I wasn't sure how people were going to respond to her. And I wasn't even sure how people were going to respond to the game because it was a completely new IP. So uh it was it was super exciting but also a little bit nerve-wracking not knowing how people uh would feel about it i'm i'm really curious about the process i've talked to you know voice actors in the past and the sense i've always gotten is you know these games games like this come together over a long period of time and they tend to kind Mm -hmm. of come together toward the end and i would imagine like what's the process like of trying to make a character where i would imagine there are times where you're just reading lines and you have no real idea what you know, where this fits in or like, does that ever happen where you just don't even really know what you're reading and you're trying to figure out how to make it work? Yeah. The beginning of the process actually was pretty, um, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of me trying to sort of parse what my relationship was to different characters just through contextual Mm -hmm. clues. And I usually in other games, I can usually do that. Like I can usually like, I know enough about games and I've played enough games that if I go into Mm -hmm. a context where I'm a more minor character, potentially, I can sort of suss out, okay, I'm probably talking to the player character, X, Y, or Z thing is happening, you know, whatever. Um, And also I have a director there to help me. But actually at the beginning of Horizon, I didn't have a dedicated director. Um, Oh, wow. I had the devs on the line with me, um, but I didn't have someone to kind of work back and forth with um, as far as finding Eloy's voice and figuring out what the landscape was in the context of whatever particular mission we were in. And so I actually, we, we talked to um, the dev team and we got um, a, a really awesome director. Originally it was a woman named Amanda Wyatt. Um, and then uh, she got super busy. And so we brought on uh, Jamie Modelero, who is a really awesome director. He's worked on the Hitman games. I think he's basically oh, okay. directed every Hitman game that's come out. Oh, okay. um, those games have great, great voice acting, actually. Yeah. And so he, um, he and I really worked together to figure out Aloy. And, um, and also, we helped, he helped me suss out, along with the devs, where I was emotionally in any particular scene in comparison mm-hmm. to like the larger narrative arc um, and what my relationships to the different tribes were and the different characters and who they were. And um, yeah, together we kind of puzzled out like what Aloy would think or feel about any particular group mm-hmm. or uh, character. But there was actually a, a point we hit where we reviewed some of the much earlier stuff that we had done in the game. And I remember thinking like, this isn't Aloy anymore. And so I asked if we could actually go back and revisit some of those earlier scenes. Well, so can we back up a second? So Ashley, can you tell us like how you got this role and how it was presented to you in the first place? Um, Why don't you start from there? I mean, so we knew for a while that Guerrilla Games, they finished Killzone, Shadowfall, and then they're moving Mm -hmm. on to a new IP. Did they approach you? Did you have to audition? What happened there? I auditioned a few times. So I think... They were casting for Aloy pretty early on in the process. So I got sides um, with a bit of a description about her and I think a little bit about the world. 
Okay. And I could see that there was and a scene. And this is the same description? Like, what was the description then? Was it the same as the modern description of Eli? Or how does it change <laughs> a lot? I don't remember because it was like three years ago now. But okay. I think it was something along the lines of like this, you know. Uh, I think I think it might have said that she was a player character, but I don't know if it actually did. Mostly it was just like, this is a strong, you know, she's a young woman, uh, raised as an outcast, um, strong, maybe a little suspicious of people, etc. And the sides were actually um, dialogue tree options. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. I think I remember seeing, this is the same scene with different emotional responses. So I was like, okay, it's a dialogue mm-hmm. tree game. Uh, it's a game with dialogue trees right, in right. it. <laughs> so it kind of so, it out. Right. And so I was like, okay, it's, then she's probably the player character, if that's the case. And so I auditioned for um, I, I auditioned for her once. And then I think, I'm not sure, actually, I should ask them at some point what happened with their development cycle. But um, I didn't hear anything for a really long time. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I didn't get it. And then the sides, updated sides came around again. And I was like, oh, I think I've auditioned for this character before. So I did it again. And then I got a call back. Um, and that was actually, it was like a callback for the e- the original E3 trailer that came out. Um, so it wasn't a hundred percent that I was going to play the role, but I was like, I think it was between me and one other woman. And so they ended up using my voice for the E3 trailer. And then even still, it was kind of like, okay, she's in the E3 trailer, but we need to make sure that she doesn't do insane stuff with her face when we decide to do facial capture. So wait, did they tell you that you were going to be in the E3 trailer or did you just find out? Yes, from they the did. Okay. They did. Yeah. So they showed it'd be me funny that... if you only found out while <laughs> <I was> at <laughs> E3 right. that like you're right. No. Yeah. They, they, um, they showed me actually some of the, I don't think it was actually even early rendering. I think they showed me some of the gameplay stuff and I, it was the okay. first time that I sort of realized like, Oh God, this is a really huge game. And it's really beautiful. <laughs> and yeah. there are robot dinosaurs. Like, everything about I was just sort of, like, taken aback. Cause like, oh, I, robot again, dinosaurs. Okay. Yeah, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was just really... Because, again, like, I... Every time you audition for something, at least for me, mm-hmm. I just... I send it out into the ether, and I assume I will never hear about it again. So, right. when I got called back in, um, I had no idea... I had no idea that Horizon was going to be such a big deal until I saw that gameplay footage, and I was like, oh, holy mm-hmm. shit, this is a really big game. Gotcha. So... A term that you used was sides, which I think maybe some of our listeners might not know that oh, term. Oh, sure. What what is what is a side? Like I I'm gathering that that's just like an excerpt of dialogue or something, but is that accurate? Yeah, so audition sides are what your agency sends you to uh so for you, so you can read for the role. So sides kind of vary, but lots of video game sides will have concept art of the character a brief description mm-hmm. about their personality, maybe a brief description about their past um, and any other pertinent relationships they have with other characters. And they'll give you like age range, race. Um, if they have any particular ideas for like vocal quality, they might give you a reference. Like we want her to kind of sound like Emma Stone or uh, mm-hmm. Kristen Stewart. Is that common? <laughs> is Emma Stone I, a common one? Emma Stone actually I think is a common one. I, th- yeah, I see Emma Stone a lot. <laughs> and who else do I see a lot? Oh, Scarlett Johansson, I see a lot. Oh, yeah, shocker. Um, okay. And then you'll get scenes of dialogue um, that are somewhat short, but they, they're usually a couple, and the intention is to show that you have range and you can understand mm-hmm. how this character would operate in different emotional spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And you send those in and uh, assume that you'll never get it. Like I said, you just pop them out into <laughs> the ether. It's funny because they have yeah. to kind of not tell you too much. Like we've gotten, like I know that we've even gotten leaks of games because the voiceover script like told enough about the game that people could figure out what it was. So I'd imagine it's this always this inter- weird dance where you have to determine a lot based on not that much information because they don't want to just tell you, here's everything about the game and here are the specs right. and it's going to have robot dinosaurs. It's more just you see that afterwards, which I would imagine makes the process kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, again, it was one of those things where I, I got these sides for Aloy and I think they mentioned that, you know, she had, uh, she was part of a tribe or outcast from a tribe. And so I had mm-hmm. some sense that, tribes were involved but right. the logical leap is not then robot dinosaurs so right, right. It's, it's, so that took me by surprise <laughs> well it is yeah. a video game so i feel like the logical leap would be robot dinosaurs <laughs> you can always kind of that's guess true. right that's fair so you were saying so e3 2014 so when did you find out like for sure you are aloy i assume it was them right but you didn't know you were the main character then you were saying well so that e3 trailer came out and i think they were kind of I'm, this is me guessing, actually. I actually don't know. But I think they were still kind of figuring out their process and deciding mm-hmm. um, how much... Because, of course, there are different levels of performance that an actor can give in a video game. There's just voice. Sure. Mm-hmm. There's voice and facial capture. There's voice, facial capture, and motion capture. Mm-hmm. So I think they were sort of figuring out to what degree they wanted me you know, involved in, in, in all of those aspects. And so I came in after the E3 trailer for a movement and facial capture audition. Oh, that's cool. Um, which is more like an on-camera audition where you go in, Mm -hmm. you memorize and you, you perform. Um, and after that, then it was like, okay, you don't make crazy faces when you're voice acting. So you're good. (laughs) So Um, did you do the, you did facial capture and, and voice acting for the character? I did. Yeah. I, um, I almost did motion capture, but I would have had to go to London for like weeks at a time. Uh, okay. Mm. And I was working on Adventure Time as well at the time. So, uh, okay. I, I oh, so really you did that. everything in LA? You didn't have to go to Amsterdam? I did everything in LA. Because mm-hmm. the developers are based in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. So, yeah, they are. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So at that point, like, obviously you're doing things non linearly, but at any point, do you sit down with the writers, with John Gonzalez and the writing team there, and they tell you the full story, or do you just find out in bits and pieces over the course of development? I believe. I assume I... they were still working on the story up until very late <laughs> yeah. as well, because it's video games. Right. And I, I, think they, I think they knew where they were going. So I think they knew where they wanted to end up at the end okay. of the game. Um, but. I mostly got briefed on any particular scene day of. Okay. Um, and sort of a lot of the discovery. It's interesting uh, doing uh, acting in that way. Um, and that was also my experience a bit on Life is Strange is that I would come in and mm-hmm. I'd sort of be discovering the events of the story kind of alongside Chloe or alongside mm. Aloy, <laughs> right. um, which was interesting. But yeah, there are certain things. But then, of course, we had like periods of time where I was there. There were a few months, um, especially later in development, where I was recording every single day. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I would kind of know where we were headed. Like, um, I guess should I try to avoid spoilers? Probably. Yeah, we'll we'll stay vague in the spoilers, but people can yeah. know it's not too spoiler to say that Aloy gradually uncovers the this history. A mystery. That, yeah. Right. Yeah. So later on in that story. Um, 
you know, in the in the back half of the game when you and Silence mm-hmm. are like really figuring out what's going on. Yeah, I Kirk is just knew... getting up to that part. Oh, <laughs> yeah. really? It's been yeah. very entertaining. So we can't spoil it for him. I finished. Yeah, we the won't game, spoil but... it for him. <laughs> Kirk is in the thick uh, of it. Okay, cool. So yeah, that all of that I kind of had. Uh, I kind of had the long view for all of that sort of stuff. I knew where we were headed. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, as far as like, and also there, it's interesting because you know there's so many in- individual missions in that game that don't necessarily mm-hmm. pertain to anything outside of right. Yeah, yeah that yeah. one storyline. So tons and tons of voice acting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it also like a lot of the story I'm noticing, and I've been. I mean, since I've been playing it a lot over the last few nights in particular, and I'm thinking about your performance just because we're about to talk on the show, and I'm like, okay, this is how would, what it would be like to record this. You know, one interesting thing about this game is that a lot of the story is told through these audio diaries, mm-hmm. which is this conflicting thing for me because like audio diaries are annoying, but also the story is, the backstory is really good. And uh-huh. it's like listening to this really cool, like apocalyptic radio play. And actually sure. Aloy only sort of, she kind of responds to a lot of it. Like she'll be like, wow, that's really sad after you listen to this, you know, five minute saga, uh-huh. but she doesn't actually have to do anything. So they could write that stuff in the spaces in between your performance right. and kind of fill the game out, which I thought was cool. I'm curious, have you, have you played the finished game? Like, have you played it all the way through? I have not played it all the way through. Um, I have. Yeah, I, I know that's kind of, a thing. I kind of started it actually. Well, I started it with a friend, um, but then I decided that I kind of just wanted to play it on my own to sort of unwind because it actually is a really uh-huh. good game. Yeah, <laughs> which it is, this, is very fun. It's a su- it's super fun. And is so it weird just, for you playing it and listening? To yeah, it? I really want to yes. know what it's like. It's super weird. I mean, when I just saw like clips online or even just watching my my friend play it a little bit. It wasn't mm-hmm. as weird, but like spending that much time because I've never been a player <laughs> character before. So like control and every mm-hmm. time I pick up a, you know, I pick up a medicinal herb or like I get spotted by a watcher and I'm like, oh, and it's interesting, too, because I I have a different relationship with um, some of the other characters or whatever as a player than Aloy does. Mm-hmm. So it's also uh-huh. a strange thing where I remember right, recording right. those scenes and I remember how I felt as Aloy. But now as Ashley, I'm, I have a completely different perspective. Right, it's really right. strange. <laughs> so one thing I've noticed, especially is in this game, there's a lot of just sort of grunting and breathing and jumping yes. and getting hit. <laughs> Does that just, that would freak me out. If I, there are parts where I'm like kind of doing the open world game thing where you mantle up like a shitty cliff to try to get to the top uh-huh. like in a way you're not meant to go. And Aloy's just like, <laughs> like jumping. And I'm like, man, if I were <laughs> you playing this game, like hearing yourself back doing that would be extremely odd i would think it is interesting that stuff is less weird i don't know why Uh, okay i think maybe because it's so that stuff well less so now um because i know the toll it can take on your vocal cords but um when i first started doing voiceover that was always so fun to me because it's so Mm -hmm. video gamey and like i grew up playing video (laughs) games and i've heard all the pain grunts and like the jump noises Mm -hmm. and whatever so the first time i had to like i had to do like a small jump and uh, often directors will kind of model it for you just so you don't mm-hmm. like, you know, burn out your vocal cords, like trying to find the noise. But uh, I heard, I can't remember what game it was, um, but my director was like, it's kind of like a, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> I've been, <laughs> I know I've been preparing my whole life for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Did you get to work with Lance Reddick and the other actors that are in the game or were you just in a booth by yourself? I was in a booth by myself. I really I was, wish so I, was gonna, I, I really wanted to ask about that because I actually just got to where Lance Reddick turns up and you're basically doing scenes with Lance Reddick, which I is know. super cool. 
All this searching, and I'm still no closer. If that's your reaction to everything you've just learned? To whine like a spoiled child? <sighs> you should really try talking that way to me face to face. As you wish. Do you really have no idea how monumental are the discoveries you just made, Aloy? I expected more of you. So, you have a face. Got a name to go with it? Of all the questions you could ask right now, that's the one you choose. Have you met him? No, I haven't. And I remember wow, the crazy. day that I was like, because we, because hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler for Kirk, but you hang out, you talk to Silence a lot in the game. Yeah, and, I, um, I, that's not that bad. Okay, I cool. That's, I assumed that would happen. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. They wouldn't get, I don't think they would give Lance Reddick a fly by night character, but, uh, no. but yeah, I remember I, I'd like done a couple of scenes with Silence. And I just got curious. I was like, I wonder who's playing this character that I'm spending so much time with. <laughs> That's so and so funny. I asked them, and they're like, oh, it's Lance Reddick. And I was like, what? It's Lieutenant Daniels? And I, like, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of lost it. Um, um, yeah, that's yeah. that's super good. Just even listening to it, and you know, like I said, I've been playing it, sort of thinking about your performance, and just being like, "Well, this must be really cool for Ashley to hear herself." Yeah, it was Basically, so cool. also dressing down Lance Reddick and being <laughs> like, "No, you jerk, you're wrong. Listen to me. I know what's going on." And it's really <laughs> I know he's been like yeah, shitty really to me, and I'm like, I'm like giving him clips back. It's so surreal. <laughs> so I want to hear more about what the actual process of recording this thing was like. So it's you said it was two years, right? Was that? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you were doing other stuff, but how many how many hours a week over two years is that about? So it started slower where I was only doing like a session or two like a week mm-hmm. or every two weeks or something like that. And then deeper into development, there were like months, there were a few months where I was like recording every single day, sometimes for the entire day. Um, wow. And yeah, it was kind of like me and Jamie, my director, and then either um, one of the writers or uh jonah who's the the director of the cutscenes, or uh Jochen, who is kind of the um the uh talent coordinator um you know one of the devs on on the line with us and we would kind of just roll through scenes and and figure it out and then there were certain days where um it was just sort of conversational dialogue where like you know you go and you speak to any character and you get like different options to uh, different speech options or whatever. And then on the days where we'd had cut scenes, they would put dots on my face and uh, we mm-hmm. would mostly just do cuts. We would do a, like a chunk of cut scenes that day. Um, and I would see their recorded motion capture and then sort of mimic the movements and, uh, and react and then say the lines, you know, um, while still keeping, uh, keeping true to whatever movements had already been captured. Um, hmm. So we would, Is there room for improvis- improvisation there, or do you have to follow the script pretty strictly? There's, a ro- there's room for it. I think I tended to... The most that I would do often is just to, like, make the lines sound more true to Aloy for me, and they were mm-hmm. totally open to that. Um, there's a line there's a specific line i'm wondering about uh just that i wanted to ask about that i saw last night is aloy goes through some water and she comes out and the i have subtitles on and it says that was dot 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 refreshing and it i was expecting her to be like that was refreshing like it wasn't refreshing but the line was actually that was 
refreshing. Like it was actually refreshing. Um, right. I don't know if you remember that line, but that is that like <laughs> I just wanted to ask about it just because I saw it and thought, you know, Kirk only there's two different ways you could have read this that would like game. imply a different character for Aloy though, right? Like one is kind of mm-hmm. more sarcastic and one is more genuine and she's actually a pretty genuine person. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the sort of thing you're talking about, but that was something that I noticed. Yeah, it's interesting because she, I think that was something that they definitely liked about my initial uh, auditions is that I I found moments to give her snark or to be mm-hmm. able to like, here we go, kind of like elements, <laughs> you know, sort of like, fuck. Um, but also, the, the I think the other important thing about Aloy is that she is very uncynical. Um, and that's something yeah. that um, it, silence is a counterpoint to her in that way where she is really always kind of searching for the uh, the lighter side of any situation. And she's smart, so she knows that people can be terrible, but she's compassionate enough and um, open enough that she tends to give people the benefit of the doubt. There's an Aloy cosplayer who took this really lovely photo of her, of Aloy seeing snow, and it looks mm-hmm. like she's seeing snow for the first time. Because she's just got her hands out and she's like looking up in awe at the, at the sky as like snowflakes come down. And uh-huh. to me, that's such a sweet and that's a, that's a huge part of her, I think, is that she has a genuine curiosity. And I think I, I think it's interesting because honestly, I think what you assumed the read could be could totally be Aloy. But I think there's also completely something about like, right. oh, that actually was nice. Like that being like something right. like that, that she actually of, enjoys. I've been running around like for right. the last six mm-hmm. hours and it was sort of nice doing that. There's a great mm-hmm. line. There's a great exchange between you and Lance Reddick. I don't know if you've gotten to the scene where he says, oh, um, yeah, actually the world is round. You probably didn't know this, but it's flat. And she's like, no, dude, obviously I know the world is round because the moon like has this shadow on it and she just totally owns him. And it's really good <laughs> because she just is like smart enough to figure out that the world is round yeah, just from right. observing the world, which is, it was a, it was a good line. <laughs> the writing in the game is good. I don't know. I, yeah, I like it. It is really like good. It's, it's especially yeah. for the amount that they had to put in this game, mm-hmm. like the number mm-hmm. of side quests and the number of just scenes in general. There is a little too much audio. Di- I was thinking before about, have you guys played South Park the Stick of Truth yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so there's a funny section in that game where you're going through a spaceship and you pick up all these audio logs and uh, it's just a guy (laughs) talking about audio logs and he's like all all that's here is audio logs I'm so hungry but (laughs) I just keep finding audio (laughs) logs the only thing I can do is make it why am I even recording this and he can't stop and he like dies (laughs) that's really recording audio logs yeah Um, that's good but yeah, but no, you did a fantastic job. So what what is the most difficult thing about playing the main character in this giant open world RPG like this? Is it just the sheer amount of stuff or are there other uh, uh, really tough things, obstacles in your way as you are recording Aloy, becoming Aloy? So one of the things is finding a, an emotional place that she can live in that feels true and honest but also is something that can be applied over several different contexts. Because because right. it is an open world game, right. you can play missions at any particular point. So you could mm-hmm. go all the way to the very end of the game where Aloy has learned all of this stuff and seemingly changed so much. And then you could go all the way back to the mission at the beginning. And yeah. play right, it. right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Do the hunting lodge um, or something. Yeah. yeah. Right. Go that side mission that you didn't do. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So... Finding a place that she can live and that feels genuine for any circumstance that she's in, while also making her a fully fleshed out right. character. And not just a with monotone like, robot. Right. That has like a rich emotional landscape and like a perspective. Because Aloy definitely had like 
There are other, you know, open world games where you pretty much shape your protagonist entirely. I don't think mm-hmm. Aloy is one of those games. Like, Aloy comes mm-hmm. basically already, you know, she's an established character, and you can sort of influence how compassionate versus intellectual versus, like, aggressive she is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. those are all sort of shades that exist within her anyway, um, I think, as a character. So That's one of the things that makes Horizon great, is that it doesn't feel like you're playing this cipher. I mean, which can uh, playing a cipher can have its advantages, but mm-hmm. with Horizon, it's like Ayla, you're like, holy shit, yeah. I love this character that I'm playing. It's definitely as. more It's more The Witcher 3 than Mass Effect. Yes, say. exactly. Right, it helps right, that yeah. she has the most badass hair in any video game. That's true. That it's hair animation, hair. oh my god. Yeah. It's really incredible. It's really, I mean, some of the things they did with graphics in that game, just in general, like the technical achievements are just remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's insane. I went to uh, so for the launch party. I went to actually went to Amsterdam, and I got to finally go to Gorilla and meet all of these people. That that was your first time. The launch party was your first. Holy shit! I had never met anyone in person, so I met. I know. So I'd met all the writers and uh, the creative leads, and I went through, and they gave me a tour of the studio, and I was meeting all the animators and all the designers, and I sat with uh, someone that had done. the costume, like Aloy's original uh, costume that she gets from Teb, uh, mm-hmm. like the Nora Brave outfit. Mm-hmm. And there were pieces of that outfit that he just sort of painstakingly fit one piece at a time, like layers, like yeah. little itty bitty, like fucking polygons that he was just like putting in like with <laughs> digital tweezers. And he was like, yeah, this was like a few, this was like, you know, me crunching for hours before the E3, oh you know, God. launch trailer, just whatever. And I was just... Good. The Video level games. of detail is insane mm-hmm. in that game. To the point where, like, depending on what tribe it is, each tribe is, like, assigned a different type of wood. Like, this tribe would use, <laughs> you know, birch tree, or this, this, <laughs> right, this right, you know, this would use oak, or, you know what I mean? Like, wow. And they had, like, a reasoning and, like, a logic for everything. It was just, mm-hmm. uh, going through, I was just, I mean, I was already blown away by the game, but, like, to know that level of of detail was every aspect of the game had that level of detail and like precision. It was insane. Yeah, man, it's a hell of a game. <laughs> yeah, man, video um, games. <laughs> man, video games. And just the the fact <laughs> that people have to spend all these hours and, and just crunch so much putting in like the tiniest little details. And yeah. I hope a lot of people appreciate that sort of thing. The leg shifts. Um, I did a post that was just a gif of yeah, of the way that her, her legs rotating in a horse. saddle. And she pulls oh, her yeah. leg up over the saddle and then it's slowly, it's just like, holy shit, like somebody <laughs> that just the fact that someone just painstakingly hand animated that whole thing frame by frame is, uh, is ridiculous. Yeah. I yeah. can't believe. So you never got a chance to like go out there. They didn't need you out there for any reason, even doing the mo- So you did all the motion capturing everything in LA. Yeah, actually I will. I, like I said, I wasn't the able facial to do capturing, the motion sorry. capture. No, no, no. The facial yeah, capturing so, is what I meant. Yeah. The facial capture I did in LA. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that that seems crazy to me because I, I would think that like an actor just needs to be sitting with the writers and I guess you're so far removed from the technical people and the the uh, the other parts of the team that it's just not necessary, huh? Well, that's part of, you know, being being a voice actor, you have you have to sort of construct your reality out of out of you know pieces because yeah like an on-camera actor can have set costume other people to act off of or whatever uh-huh. um but you're just if you're just in a booth and you have to you have to voice this character and you have to you have to give life to the situation that you have no visual context for you it's something that you kind of learn to to work around and yeah, and so again like the writers were you know on skype with me 
sure, every yeah. session kind of helping guide me through. Uh, so one of the things you mentioned was. before is that you went back and changed some of the earlier stuff later mm-hmm. in the game. Um, what kind of stuff did you change? Is this just, it, I, I mean, like what kind of stuff did you find that, that did you, had you recorded that didn't feel like Aloy to you anymore? I think in some of the earlier scenes, she seemed a bit too, too young and a bit, maybe okay. a bit too petulant, um, hmm. a bit, a bit more um, easy to get to, I think. Like, she didn't have as much resilience as mm. we sort of found, like, oh, no, this is who she... Like, so it was a sort of finding it and, like, thinking about it in terms of, like, okay, these are the emotional places that someone could go to based on what's happened to her. But mm. who is she actually? And how would she take these situations and turn the... You know, create the alchemy of emotion to make her the person that who she becomes. Uh, the place mm-hmm. The place that we found her kind of as a group and collaborating... Like, okay, this is Aloy. And so when we did find her, yeah. So going back to some of that earlier stuff, it's like she, because I was really, I really, really wanted to make sure that she was not just like a capital S strong female character with no mm-hmm. humor or uh, a vulnerability of any kind, because I just think that's boring. So I wanted her to feel rich and, um, and, and vulnerable in different moments, but it was about choosing those moments. Um, and finding a baseline for her that, you know, was more resilient and had more strength in it, um, but allowing for peace places of, you know, awe or curiosity or suspicion or annoyance or whatever. Um, hmm. And so, yeah, when we finally, when we kind of landed on that over the course of a couple of sessions, uh, when we reviewed later, I was like, that's not alien anymore, guys. <laughs> we got to We got to figure it because it's just going to be like, Bleh. yeah, it's going to be. And like you really like gave you the time and the ba- and the resources to like go and do all that stuff. Re-record well, Jamie stuff. was awesome because he always made sure because he he heard it too, and he mm. was like, yeah, he, and I could see him being like, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying, but he also has to be aware of like time and how much stuff we had to get through. So it was always a conversation. And the great thing about Gorilla and all the devs is that like, again, they really saw it as a collaboration. And I think when they, when they heard that earlier stuff too, I think they could hear like, oh yeah, this really isn't Aloy anymore. Um, We've moved past this and she's sort of evolved. And so they were always open to, and they trusted us a lot. Um, So if I was like, I feel like I can get that and make it better. Um, And then we also had to be discerning. Like I couldn't just do it. That was like, I kind of wish that performance had a little bit more, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, you had to be, we had to pick our battles a little bit in terms of like, I couldn't just go back if I was like, I was, that wasn't the, that wasn't the groundbreaking right, performance right, right. of video games. It had to be like, no, that just isn't the character anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We were talking to Ron Gilbert a couple of weeks ago, uh, the creator of Monkey Island, who just released mm-hmm. his game, Thimbleweed Park. And he was telling, we were talking about voice acting because he had some problems with voice actors and, uh, we had watched a Double Fine documentary and they had problems where they had to delay production for a couple of weeks because one of their voice actors had a family emergency. And he was saying how it's really interesting because voice actors tend to be so detached or removed from the rest of the project, which can sometimes lead to bad things. I guess some, in some ways that can be a good thing as well. Um, but it's really interesting uh, uh, hearing from you that you hadn't even been there and that you got to work with them so closely. And this seems this seems sort of to me like uh, like it worked out really well. But I imagine there are mm-hmm. situations where a voice actor, because they're not going into the studio and they're not working with the dev team every day, might 
might not know as much about the game and the character mm-hmm. and might not be able to develop that relationship it might lead to some uh, uh, let's call them uh, Peter Dinklage situations uh, <laughs> <laughs> where where the voice acting isn't ideal which is uh, mm-hmm. another the downside to this whole process but yeah but it sounds like you guys had a pretty good thing going on which is really cool yeah I think it also helps that like I know games and mm. um, having a shorthand, especially for a game like this, is super helpful. Like, I could just see, like, oh, I'm doing this scene three times. I know why. Mm-hmm. Because this one's the aggressive one. You know what I mean? Like, stuff like right, that. Right, right. Um, so there was a bit of a shorthand. And what's nice about that is that it kind of lifts some of the technical problems out of the way so that we can fo- focus more on, okay, who is this person? What are we trying to get across in the scene? So most of the conversations that we had... Uh, that the back and forth that I would have with my director in particular were just about like conversations about, you know, I think Aloy should be a bit more aggressive in this moment. Like, I think, you know, there's that scene with Helis. We had Jamie and I had a lot of conversations about the scene with Helis in the Sun Dome um, mm-hmm. and about how far we push her and that kind of thing. So the conversations actually ended up being really cool and they were all about process and, um, and finding her emotionally in the moment and less about like, wait, why am I, why am I saying this particular technical right. thing? You know what I mean? Right, so right. it really was more about performance and, and that's what was kind of nice about it. Um, and again, it was, it was, there was sort of a trust thing where it's like, okay, if you say that you need more time on the scene or you want to take it again, we, you know, we trust you. And then if you're telling me, oh, okay, we got it. We need to move on. I have to yeah. trust you. So there was like an exchange happening there, you know? Very cool. So I think we have to wrap things up. Um, Ashley, thank you so much for being here. So people Thanks can obviously me. find you in Horizon Zero Dawn. Where else on the internet <laughs> can people find you? Where else you? on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Ashley underscore Birch. My name is spelled in a stupid way. So <laughs> it's A-S-H-L-Y-B-U-R-C-H. <laughs> Um, I'm in Horizon. I'm Chloe and Life is Strange. I have a silly web series with my brother called Hey Ash, What You're Playing that they that we update. Very every, enjoyable, one, which we didn't get a yeah, chance we to watch about, but it's very funny. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, updated we it once every moon good. cycle. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm in a, a Cartoon Network show that's coming out too. Oh, nice! That's cool. exciting. Mm-hmm, very which exciting. Is cool. Are you in any um, other video games that are coming out? Or are you not allowed to talk about anything? I'm trying I'm, to think if I can talk about Is there about anything them. that you can talk about that you're now that you wanna plug? Obviously Horizon's gonna have DLC at some point in the future and we will all be checking out that. Um, but yeah, pleasantly surprising how good that game was and how Thank much you. I want DLC after finishing it. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. Cool. All right. Well, all right. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Good talking to you guys. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, I'm Melissa Kirsch, editor-in-chief of Lifehacker. And I'm Alice Bradley, Lifehacker's deputy editor. And we're the hosts of Lifehacker's podcast, The Upgrade. On The Upgrade, we help you improve your life one week at a time. We talk to guests like former hacker Hector Monsegur about online security. You need to be aware of how you can be attacked. You need to be aware of what's your weakness. And Alan Alda on how to communicate more effectively. And in order to achieve that, we start with teaching exercises derived from improvisation. And sex therapist Steven Snyder about how to have great sex in a long-term relationship. What really works 
under those circumstances is if you enjoy the other person selfishly. Hey, your life, it's terrible. We can help. <laughs> Find The Upgrade wherever you get your podcasts. I'm psyched to finish Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, I'm going to probably finish that this week, and then we can talk about it. Maybe we'll do, we got all these spoiler casts we need to do, Zelda yeah, the, and the, the, Persona, but I want to talk about I don't know if Horizon needs a spoiler cast. Persona yeah, and Zelda not. certainly do. Um, yeah. yeah, that was fun. Thanks to Ashley for being here. And yeah, definitely. Now, before we say goodbye, should we do a couple of reader questions? Yeah, let's do it. Um, so we've got we got some reader mail based on the conversation you and I were having last week about video games and patching stories and yeah. architecture and houses and music and all these other things. Um, so we'll just we will read those and discuss them. <laughs> I think we should spend another twenty minutes talking about how architecture <laughs> relates to video games. I think uh, well, clearly there there were plenty of people who thought that was interesting. Um, our first the first uh, mail uh, listener mail comes from. Joe Fuller, who writes, Hi, Jason and Kirk. Whilst listening to your most recent split screen, I had one of those, guy. I wish I was in the room moments when you were discussing the problem of art slash product and how many changes are justified, etc. The extended building analogy was funny, and I wanted to offer Kanye West's The Life of Pablo as a good recent example of the elasticity of art. As a music lover, I was spiritually confused when Kanye changed some tracks on the album after it was released. Rather than feeling like it was unfinished or undecided, the label wrote that, quote, in the months to come, Kanye will release new updates, new versions, and new iterations of the album. An innovative, continuous process, the album will be a living, evolving art product, unquote. One could argue that the new models of art being distributed via streaming services or downloads lends itself to creators changing their work more easily and frequently than previous models. For example, one might argue that the different cuts of Nymphomaniac, Grindhouse, or the black and white version of Mad Max Fury Road were quicker off the mark than older director's cuts because they could be released online and on DVD without much fuss. Um, he goes on and he talks about Final Fantasy XV. He agrees with Jason that the that changing the story is worrying for the player because you're changing the narrative. He talks about the how the Beatles fans would maybe rather that revolutionary or, sorry, Revolution 9 was uh, removed from the White Album, but that that would feel wrong because it wasn't the artist's intention, so do you change it? Um, it's it's good, and I, he gives a lot of examples, but I think that that Kanye one is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And the idea that because this stuff is digital, it's become so easy to be like, oh, we'll just change it, you know, and, and, and it'll be fine. And then it leads to these kind of, you know, significant changes to um, a work of art, which I thought mm-hmm. was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, I... I don't i'm not like a kanye west fan have you actually listened to the life of pablo no i feel like i should i've always kanye is one of those artists who i feel like is really interesting and i if i took more time to just like listen to new music i would i would listen to him but no i haven't really listened to i it. think when you get to a certain age you just stop listening to new music and <laughs> <laughs> it's just impossible it's to listen there, to really yeah music. i mean i i just listen to such different kinds of music now and get something so different out of it i'm looking for something more specific than just What's the new biggest thing? Even well, though you Kanye's also just you only listen to the Persona Five soundtrack, right? I basically loop that in the Hamilton <laughs> Hamilton soundtrack over and over. But uh, yeah, so so it is an interesting ongoing question of like how much you should be able to change and what and what a mm-hmm. living art, what a living piece of art actually means, and whether it it hurts the product and hurts the art for it to change and. Um, as we, we talked to Frank Cifaldi a few weeks ago at GDC about preservation, and this really hurts preservation because when something has changed drastically, there's often no way to actually go back and play and discover the old stuff. So, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it and brings kind of, Like this. the thing of, like we, I think the example, and we mentioned this with Ashley too, is the, the Peter Dinklage example where there is this 
it's not a great performance, but there is this version of Destiny with this whole vocal performance from Peter Dinklage that now is kind of gone to the ravages of time. Yep. Um, because and it, and it and it is interesting. I think that the point that um, um, I think Joe's point about how digital media makes this so much easier it's definitely valid like that is one of the things that leads to this kind of thing happening so yeah. the next letter that um dealt with this as well is from adrian torres um he wrote some stuff before he got to this but he uh, this, this is the, the salient section he said i had this thought as i'm listening to you guys try to elegantly deconstruct that building metaphor that just did not want to work with you sorry <laughs> Kirk. i i suddenly found myself shouting star wars see george lucas did the exact thing we're talking about the infamous han solo scene i won't get into all the other stuff he added but the infamous han solo scene which what adrian is referring to here is this is Han's, han shot first i feel like everybody listening to our list knows this but the yeah. fact that han used to shoot greedo first under the table and then George Lucas changed it so that it made it look like Greedo shot and made Han more honorable. Um, okay, so back to Adrian. He essentially, quote, patched Star Wars, killing the original version, creating an inconsistency in experiences across audiences depending on when you watched. Mm-hmm. So, for example, about a year ago, I found myself explaining this whole Han shot first thing to my 10-year-old son. And like any good father who teaches his son right from wrong, I, of course, taught him that Han shot first. Um, I agree with Jason that this is happening more and more, and while it's hard to quantify what harm will come of it, one thing's for sure, it shouldn't be acceptable. Developers should be apologetic when they have to do that, not taking a this-is-normal-for-video-games attitude. They should feel like they missed the mark, let fans down, failed to meet their standards, and other shameful terms. I mean, um, the other side of that coin is Diablo 3, where a game has just changed like constantly for the better over time, and Destiny, and a lot of these other games. I think that I think and so one of the things that I was sort of, you know, needling you with last week was just I think that there sometimes can be a sort of an exceptionalism when talking about video games where people will be like, oh, well, video games are nothing like anything else. And this has never happened before. But I do think and it's something that uh, Life of Pablo is true of, too, and something you were hitting at when I listened back to our conversation. You're kind of talking about patching story. And I think really like when we're talking about games, the the idea of patching story and characters and changing the story so that it's different and changing the ending and changing like whole character interactions. That's like Han shot first. That's definitely more questionable, right? That's more obviously questionable because the actual story of the thing is, is being changed after some people have already finished it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I was trying to think. So the, the other, I mean, the problem that I was bringing up last week isn't just the way that it changes the experience. It's that mm-hmm. you're getting a better game. So, like, we were talking about the mm-hmm. animations getting fixed. And one of the problems with that is that one of the points that I was making last week is that if it feels like games are not going to be finished or fixed or improved right. until months after launch, then why would anyone buy a game on launch day anymore? And Which that's becoming then stupider will and lead stupider. To people not buying games, and right? Then that I think will hurt that is yeah. So it's like two concerns almost. One of them is the story and the. Uh, uh, I guess ethical questions or, or artistic questions over whether story should be changed post release. Yeah, like the, what is the integrity of the story, and right. is your story does it have integrity, or are you just going to change it if people tell you they don't like it? Yeah, I mean that's an interesting question, and there's no easy yeah. answer to that. I don't act like there's a right or wrong answer. Um, but the other problem, the problem of games being improved, it's like that's another tough question because you want developers to be able to improve their games after launch and fix their games after launch i was actually i was having this conversation with someone on twitter i think about mass effect or something was it it someone with a scorpio no no logo in their name i probably would have blocked them (laughs) um 
Not that PlayStation fans aren't as bad. Like PlayStation fans are just as bad. No, it's I'm cool. Sure we don't have to get worse. we don't have to get sidetracked on Twitter fans anymore. Anyway, um, I was anyway. talking to someone on Twitter, uh, uh, and they were like, "Well, if this were the old days, twenty years ago, then the bug would have just stayed in the game to never be fixed." But it's almost like I I don't know. Like I wonder if it's really such a good thing that ga- that games can be patched and bugs can be removed because first of all, it allows developers to say, "Oh, we'll put this in the day one patch." Mm-hmm. We'll get this out after launch, and second of all, it it just creates this world where buying games on day one is just a sucker's bet, and it's just not worth it. And why would I want to play the game when the face is tired, lady in Mass Effect, whose eyes are rolling all over the place? <laughs> yeah, when, when two I can weeks wait a later, yeah. she'll look a lot better. Yeah. So it's just such a tough question, and it's such a tough yeah. industry problem because eventually we're going to get to this point where nobody wants to buy games on launch day anymore. Right. And man, what's the answer? there is no answer yeah it's almost like games like we'll just maybe start thinking of games more as these ongoing processes and less as these these boxed products that you they buy have like to be, just, i guess they basically are that already i mean even as even these single player games like mass effect that you would think of that way are kind of this in process thing yeah i don't know it just is it's an evolving complicated question yeah, I mean it, it sits it sits up there with like the is there room for big single player games anymore, and is there room for like one shot games where you just play them once, and all of yeah. these questions facing the industry. And I don't know, I, I'm worried that it's all going to come to a point where like it, it feels like this has gotten worse and worse over the past two years. And Destiny and The Division and Diablo three and all of these other games, it feels like there's a giant list, like an ever expanding list. And uh, actually, this is to get into plug mode for a second. This is something that I. I touched upon a little bit in my book because uh, one of the things that I talk a lot about is that it's so hard to make these games that at the point where you actually finish them, that's the point where you really feel like you understand the game and then you can go back and be like, oh, we gotta fix the pacing here, we gotta fix these bugs we gotta like make it so purple engrams don't drop blue loot half the time. And it's like mm-hmm. once it's out there in the wild and you're playing it and people are playing it, that's when you can really identify these problems. But because everything doesn't coalesce until the very last minute there's no way to really recognize this. Well. Yeah, it's something I even thought about when we were talking to Dado last week, where when how about how when Destiny came out, this sort of question of how many people at Bungie really play Destiny hardcore. And then again, like the flip side of that is before Destiny came out, there kind of probably wasn't a Destiny to play hardcore until the very last minute so they couldn't even they couldn't know what it would yeah, be like I mean, to play the, it just is, because it wasn't even finished right there's there's a, i mean my understanding is that a lot of the the mission structure itself the some all that part and the missions getting i mean because of the way destiny was made and because everything was torn apart in the last year right, of development I mean. there was nothing like that but you could go in there and play with the sandbox and shoot things and like get a, a feel for the game and that sort of thing so oh, but i mean but we were talking about the experience of leveling right, up to 20 and level, grinding yes, to 26 yes. and how can you even have that experience like yeah. and i think that's probably true of a lot of games right, right. i mean that's just oh, yeah, one example but you just can't you can't know and so then it comes out and then you have all these people playing it telling you all this stuff and then you're even able to play it mm-hmm. and say oh yeah that's true i mean even ashley talking about oh sometimes i'll hear lines back and say oh okay that was not how i thought it was going to be you just don't know until you see this finished thing um that i yeah th- i mean that's just 
the the one of the side effects of a massive collaborative creative undertaking i don't know Which if there's tough. any way around that well i mean but that's the question like for consumers like what does your average gamer care about whether a game is made at the last minute or not i mean it's interesting but i'm saying like from uh i'm giving you 60 dollars for this game perspective it doesn't matter to me when how much the developers played it it just matters to me that i have a good game and oh no of experience. course i'm saying if the developers play it a lot they'll probably be able to make it better and then you'll get a good game right, right, I mean, right, right. no 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 my point is that like because these games are getting so much more complicated and because we're at the point where these games aren't coalescing until as close to the last possible minute as as possible it's going to create problems if it's not already creating problems i mean we already saw a string of games that came out and nobody bought on release day or like sold poorly on release day like dishonor mm-hmm. 2 and watchdogs 2 titanfall 2, titanfall watchdogs 2. 2 yeah. um and there are a lot of factors there don't get me wrong it's not just because of this but i i, I think one of the reasons is that nobody wants to buy games on launch anymore I, some games they do uh some games have done well on launch but it, it just yeah, feels like there's more of a malaise than there was and that's yeah. Yeah, I, think that's, I think that that's yeah and i think that's the as as long as that continues to be true that it's not a good idea to buy games on day one that'll be true and right if i mean has, how can we in good conscience recommend that people buy any game on the launch unless it's unless we played it and it's as as incredible as zelda or well i mean Persona that's how or, like i would recommend people sure, buy zelda at launch sure. i mean there's still games that come out that are good at launch um, sure it's not every it's game true. it's just some and even watchdogs 2 titanfall 2 well dishonor 2 needed a patch on pc but it was like i mean all three of those games didn't have the problem you're talking about. All three of them were not patched to be better afterwards. They all actually released. No, I know, fine. I know. Watchdogs two played great. Titanfall two played great. That's so, not my point. My point is more right. that gamers have become kind of disillusioned after buying games like at launch, and they're broken and busted and problem have all sorts of problems. I think it's becoming more of a world where people are just more and more skeptical about buying mm-hmm. games at launch versus Which is waiting good. to buy. They should be. <laughs> but um, yeah, yes. On one hand, yes, of course. Gamers should be smarter consumers and everyone should should wait and get discounts and all that. Like we should all value our money. But as far as an industry perspective, if the industry continues to be reliant on people buying games on launch and pre-ordering and people don't want to do that anymore, then we have problems. So I'm yeah, hoping and that I mean, it does, is, it, doesn't lead it, to some sort of crash or, or Right, and the question of, I mean, and usually crashes are like the kind of thing you're envisioning are related to more than just one factor. Like there are multiple things building, which there could well be economic forces. Oversaturation. Yeah. And there could be other just like more global economic forces again with like video game exceptionalism fighting against that. Like video games don't exist in a vacuum. They're an industry, a giant entertainment industry that exists in the world economy. The world economy itself has a million different things influencing it. So there are a lot of things that could lead to that kind of thing. Sure. Um, Or the industry could just adjust to this new way of doing things and over time we just see a kind of new a new way to emerge it'll be yeah we'll we'll have to see so on that note on that lovely note let's call yeah, it quits can, for today and yeah we can call it quits thank you again to ashley birch for being on the show mm-hmm. and i think that's it we'll see you next week Kotaku Split Screen is the official podcast of Kotaku.com. It's produced by Jason Schreier and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the podcast and also wrote and performed our theme song and other music. You can find us on popular podcast services like Panoply, NPR Now, Google Play, and iTunes, where we hope you'll leave us a review if you like what you hear. Find old episodes at Kotaku.com slash splitscreen. Email us at splitscreen at Kotaku.com. 